wonderful. The gift of your love is wonderful. And we've come here today to worship you and to be reminded and to sing praises and to worship you for the grace and love that you've lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, today we just thank you for that grace as we celebrate the greatest gift ever given, the gift of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Those of you that are joining us online, Merry Christmas to you also. Hello on the balcony. I'm waving up there. So uh, I needed to come and join me this morning and uh, to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, I know it's Sunday morning, but Sunday morning, but it's, it's Christmas morning. But it occurred to me this morning, Jesus was willing to come out on a, sun, on a Christmas morning. And so I applaud you for coming out. And those of you that are watching online, we're glad, we're glad that you're here this morning. And we just wanted to greet you. This is a, we've abbreviated the service because it is Christmas morning and many of you have other plans and obligations, but we're so glad to see all of you here this morning. Is there anything you want to say? Well, you've got to get a microphone. Uh-oh. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to do that, so go ahead. Just, just greet the people. It's on. Yeah. Good morning, church. So much to be thankful for. Those songs just, you realize how beautiful is our Lord. What he's done for us, what he's always there, how near he is, how gracious his grace and his strength. I just wish every one of you, all I can think of is if, if we just can know how much we're loved and how real he is, and that there is nothing, nothing, everything. He's everything. And I think as you get older, you realize that's really more than enough. And he can meet every need. It started when we went to Rama, and I remember He said, I'll be your strength. I got those two scriptures in Philippians 4. I'll meet all your needs. And I still can go to that. And he's still doing it. He's faithful. We leave him and we don't care sometimes. And we all want to do our own thing because our little self is so strong. It still wants its own way sometimes. But it just occurred to me what it means to give up and follow the Lord and pick up our cross. To me, I felt that all of a sudden I saw that means I can deny myself. My cross can be, I just didn't understand it. I felt like I got a deeper understanding. And I'm saying, wow, it's a, it's an honor to serve the Lord and to know him. And you've all been such a blessing. Thank you. And have a wonderful Christmas with the Lord today. And we're, we're so blessed uh, this Christmas to have our son Mark, who came in all the way from Los Angeles uh, and arrived through Nashville to arrive here last night. We're all so glad you're with us, Mark. Thank you, Farco. 
All right, that's it. Praise God. Okay. I've just felt aware this morning, my one, that uh, as exciting and as joyous a time as this is, to be aware and sensitive that there are a number of us in our midst this morning, this is a challenging day. Because over the last year or several years, they've lost loved ones. And, um, and the, the, the holidays are, can be very challenging because they're reminders, they stir memories because so many of them are very family-oriented. So before we begin the message this morning, I want to I pray for those this morning for whom this may not be... They may, it may be a struggle to be joyous this morning. And this is a time that we, as believers together in a community, but we're also in relating to one another. We're a family to, to surround them with love and be very sensitive to the people around us that may have needs that we don't have, whether they're alone or they're, they've just lost a loved one, or it's a, it's a challenging struggle uh, this time. So let, let's pray. For, Father, we just thank you that your grace, your mercy, but most of all what they come out of is your love and your compassion. We pray for those this morning that are here, that are watching online, that may be part of our community, that, but they're not watching or they're not even here, but this is a difficult day and season for them. Father, help them to know that although they may be struggling, although they may be hurt, although they may be questioned still, there may be loneliness, that you know where they are, that your love and your compassion reaches out to them even this morning, Father, and help them to know that you're right there with them, that they're not alone, that your spirit is in them, that your presence is with them, and encourage them and strengthen them through this time. And help us as a body of believers to learn how to be as we face, as we transition from this season and begin to look into this next year, to learn how to be more sensitive to those that are around us and to the prompting of the Spirit. Sometimes we look for big things that we're to do, and sometimes it's, Lord, it's as, it's as simple as a handshake, as a smile, as asking a question, how are you doing, and meaning it, willing to listen to the answer. Bind us closer and closer together with the love that you've had for us and that you've called us to share with one another. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I, I want to I read a scripture on Sunday morning. I wasn't planning to do this. There was something else that we were going to do that for several reasons we ended up having to skip. It's okay to read scripture in church, isn't it? I just want to make sure it's still okay. All right. I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks the Christmas story and the rest of the story from God's perspective. But I just want to read a little bit of Scripture this morning. Uh, and this is, this is the side that we're so used to. And this is out of Luke 2. They're not going to put the Scriptures up there. That's fine. I just want you to listen. And it came to pass in those days that a de- decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so that all were registered and everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. 
So it was that when they were there, that the days were completed for, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were then in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. All those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they heard and had seen and that was told to them. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today for this gift of of love that you've given to us. And as we now share our thoughts that you've put in our hearts, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to take what are just words and to breathe them into our hearts and make them become alive, that we may leave here different, we may leave here touched, we may leave here changed by the love that you've had for us. And I cannot do this in my wisdom, my strength, any gift that you've given to me. It's only by the anointing of your Spirit, and for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I was listening to a, 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 a pastor that I, that I listened to from time to time, and he was commenting on, on these verses, and he said, isn't it interesting that the shepherds came and they worshipped? Uh, uh, and what's not in this account, it's in Matthew's account, three, three uh, wise men, magi, came. And they worshipped and they brought very valuable gifts. And they, they came, so you had these two extremes. You have shepherds that are nobody out in the field. But isn't it interesting? Angels came to nobody, that the world would skin or nobody. But a star was given to lead these shepherds, these, uh, these, these magi. Actually, it doesn't say there's three. We just assume that because of the three gifts that were brought. And they all come, at, probably at different times, and they worship a baby. Now think about that. This baby at this point can do nothing for them. This baby is totally dependent on its mother and its father just to exist. And they come to this most this lowly place of a of a stable, because there was no room in the inn. They come to this stable and they see this little baby laying in a feeding trough, that's what a manger was. And they worship him. They worship a little baby that can do, it will do something for them later on, but at this point can do nothing, has no value in himself. And this preacher pointed this out, and I thought this was so, so profound. He said, because worship is not based on what God can do for us. Worship is based on his value. In fact, the word worship we use is, comes from an old English word, which is worthship. It's honoring his worth that's so much greater than ours. 
And that's what we've come this morning to do. We've come to honor and, and, and rejoice in what our God has done, has done for us. So we're just going to take a two minute, few minutes to talk about this. On Christmas, we give gifts. We give gifts because we want to express to, other, to our members of our family, we want to express to our friends, co-workers, what they mean to us. And, and I know sometimes that's pressure. You want to make you get sure you just, just get just the right gift. And, and sometimes that pressure is because we're afraid of what they're going to think of us, but most likely it's because we want, to make, we want them pleased. We want them to know that they mean something to us. So, so, so that gift is given as a reflection of our love and our caring for somebody. So why do we, why do we give gifts especially on Christmas? Why is the focus of gift giving especially at Christmas time? I know it's all the commercial stuff. This is when they try to make a good portion of their, of their revenue in the stores. But this was done before all of that. Why, why is it? Because we're remembering and we're appreciating the greatest gift that's ever been given, which is why we're here. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. So the scripture we're going to use is the most famous scripture, most famous scripture in the Bible, and that's John three sixteen. So I want you to say this with me together. For God, uh, say it, let's no, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We'll stop right there. Let's say it again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The most important word in that verse has only two letters in it. It's the word so. S-O. So changes this scripture from a statement of theology, a statement of fact, to reveal the heart of God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. It doesn't say God loved the world and gave His Son. That's a statement of a fact. But what this is saying is the measure of God's love can be seen by what He's given us. For God so loved the world. I looked the word so up. It's a strange thing to look up a simple word like that in a dictionary. And I found a, a, number, of, a number of them. But the ones that were most meaningful to me, that so implies the degree to which something is suggested, the degree, the amount. It's used to emphasize how great a feeling is. That's really appropriate here. And the extent or degree of the kind of love that God has for us is revealed revealed by the value of this gift. And it isn't the value that we put upon it. The measure of God's love for us is not in the value we put on this gift. It's the value He put on this gift. And it shows us the value He has for you that He would give this gift. Now I assume in the last few weeks, at some point, you've either been in a store or you've been online doing your shopping. And any time you go to shop, especially, you know, it's really easy online because you see a whole bunch of alternatives right there. But you go there, and the first thing you, you want to look at is, is, well, I had this last year. Anita wanted a, a, a bracelet. So I just, I really wanted her, I wanted something special for her. So instead of going to Kohl's or Walmart or someplace like that, I went to a jewelry store. 
And so I'm looking at these bracelets, and of course, in a jewelry store, you don't see the price tags. <laughs> and so I was looking at things, and she's very dainty, so I had to find a very dainty bracelet for her. And, and I looked at it, now the question is, okay, I like that bracelet, but now... <laughs> where's that little tag, and turn it over. And I saw the amount, it wasn't extravagant, but I saw the amount, and my first thought is, is she worth this? And I've got a, you've got a choice. Every time you purchase something, you make a choice. This is, I'm going to have to give something in exchange for that gift. Is what I'm getting worth more than what I'm giving. In other words, the price I've got to pay, am I willing to part with that money because what I'm receiving back is worth more to me than that money? And sometimes after we've done that, we we get a buyer's regret or remorse, it's called, because you get home and you think, that really wasn't worth it. (laughs) I want to get my money back. Um, So, so... And so she was pleased, of course, because it communicated us. It was beyond what she was expecting me to do for her. And it communicates her value to me. So let's look at this verse again in light of what we've just learned. For God, the creator of the universe, the God who can do anything He wants, the God who is all-powerful, and the, and, and the God who is all-knowing. That means He's all-knowing about you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you ever said. He knows everything you've ever th- everything you've ever thought, including what you're thinking right now. This is the God who so loved the world. The measure of his love is in what he gave. That he gave his only begotten son. So the key words in this verse are God, obviously, so loved, and the world. So we're going to talk a little bit about this to break this down just a little bit with this in mind. So let's talk about, first of all, who He's given this love for. For God so loved the church that He gave His only begotten Son. Is that what your Bible says? But that's how we read it so often. For God so loved those the pastors, the, those that are, that are so faithful to, to serve Him and love Him. For God so loved them that He gave His only begotten Son. But that's not what it says. For, for, for God so loved the wealthy that He gave His only begotten Son. We're not likely to think that. But for God so loved the poor and the downcast that He gave His only begotten Son. But that's not what it says, because that leaves out the wealthy, which we often don't think, who we often don't think about. For God so loved the world. This has got to hit us, who God loves, because we put limits on that love. Well, God couldn't love that person. That person's going so bad, God couldn't love that person. Or we, 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 have, we have boundaries or, or limits just in terms of who we're aware of. So every day we walk past people or we see people 
in restaurants or at work or places, and we, we have judgments about them. Well, look at them. Look at them. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at the way they're dressed, especially nowadays with the younger generations who have, oh, let's put it this way, different tastes in their dress, different tastes in their hair, styles, colors, <laughs> directions, different tastes in how they appear. And I, sometimes I look at the, the generation and say, what are they thinking? And then I, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of my generation. So I'm comparing where they are, what they're like, with what looks normal to me. And because it doesn't look normal to me, it's very tempting to judge them. But are they part of the world? Because that tells us who God so loved. So God so loved the world. That nasty person at work, and that's not if you live here, work here. <laughs> that nasty person at work is part of that world that God, that God so loved. Every person, this is who's included in the world, every person from every walk of life. I want it to think into you, and the Spirit of God, maybe not right now, but over the next few days, remind you of people that you don't like. Remind you of people that you judge. Remind you of people that you're critical of. And then for the Spirit to remind us they're part of this world that God so loved that He gave. So the world includes every person from every walk of life. It includes people of every level of good works and every level of evil. It includes every race, every, race, every nationality, and every generation. And we have our limits. But God has no limit. Last week we looked at um, John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet as a living parable of what they should do for one another. And we saw how Jesus came and He emptied Himself of all of His attributes, all of His glory, all of the rights that He had to be worshipped and honored. He emptied Himself of all of those to come and become a human being, as we just sang today, and then to become a bondservant to us. He came to be our servant, to serve us. And think of who us is. We're all these kind of people we've been talking about. How I believe this year God wants to extend and press us on the limits of which we, when we look at people. Ephesians 3, we're going to read this, pray this a little bit later on. Ephesians 3.18, this is part of Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, and as we'll see later on, for all of us. His prayer is that we might be able to comprehend, understand, together with all the saints, all of us. Look at this. Think about this a second. The width that talks about how wide this love is. How far out this love goes. How far out this love reaches. The length of it. How far in front and how far out back. The depth, how far down this love will go. I've told you the story. I haven't done it for quite a while, but there was a wonderful evangelist, um, very powerful evangelist back in the 50s and the 60s, maybe started in the 40s, T.L. Osborne. And T.L. Osborne um, was in India one day 
ready to go, being picked up by a limousine to go to his meeting where he was going to preach to thousands of people in a stadium. And he's in a white suit. And he's in the back of this limousine and there's a nice temperature in there. And as he drives around this, as they, he's driven around this corner, in India they have a caste system. And you're born into that system. There's no way to get out of that system. And the lowest of the lowest are, are of a class that's even lower than the animals. Undesirable. I've forgotten exactly what the name is. But they're just, they're, they're, they're scum. Nobody pays any attention to them. And he's driving around the corner, and they wear marks on their head so they know who they are. You know which caste they are. Going around, here is a man from that lowest caste in, in beggar's rags in a, in a gutter. Now, gutter there is not like a gutter here where just rainwater flows through there. It's where their sewer flows. I don't want to offend anybody, but this is the reality. And as he was in this van, about to, in this limousine, about to preach the love of Christ, the love of God for that man he was passing, welled up. He said, it wasn't my love. It was the well of God welled up in him for this man who was dying, and he stopped the limousine. He got out of the car. He got out of the limousine, and he, went, he got down in the gutter with this man and held him in his arms in his white suit and held him and loved him and prayed for him until he left this world. Here's a man, people have been walking by, he's, he's, of an, of a, he's an outcast. And God's love took an um, evangelist from America to get out of his limousine, down in the gutter with him, and hold him while he died, so that he did not die alone. The depth, the depth of that love. Just think how far that love came for you. Just think of the depths you may have been in or you may be in now. Maybe it's an emotional death. You're just discouraged. You're down. You're down on yourself. You think everything's done. You've failed so badly. Or, or as I shared earlier, there's some of you that feel so alone because of this time of year and you, you're just you're, you're downcast. But the love of Christ is to know the depth of that love, how far down that love will go, how far down that love will go in you to make you whole. We put limits on it. We see people and say, well, I, you know, I can't see God doing that. But God's love, in fact, Paul talks about a little earlier, the unsearchable riches that are in Christ. So the, the breadth of this love, the width of this love, how, wide, how far it extends out to every nationality, every people, everyone, this love, for God so loved this world, the, height, the depth and then the height, how far up you'll go. As many of you know, for many years I was, uh, was a lawyer. And for some of those years I worked in a large law firm in Boston with lawyers that were making money that you can't even begin to believe they're making. And some of them weren't very nice people. And they're some of the loneliest people in the world. When I, when I left to go to Bible school and they knew why I was going, I had some of these partners come into my office and cry. And I didn't know why they were crying. So because I don't have the courage to do what you're doing. I'm bound here. And here they have all these big houses, fancy cars, all this money, and they're bound by it. And we, we forget those people. 
because we look at them and we can be threatened by them. We look at them and we think, well, they got everything. God, we almost sometimes think, I'm embarrassed to admit, that we hope God gets them somehow because they deserve it, because they're selfish and they're wealthy and we don't have what they have. But they're part of this world God loves. They're part of this world that God gave His Son for. I was part of that world. The depth and the height of the love of Christ. And the next verse. To know, that word means to know by experience, the love of Christ which passes knowledge or understanding. That means we may look at somebody and, and just don't, I can't imagine how God could love them, but that love is beyond knowledge. It's beyond our understanding. And God's calling us as believers to open our hearts to allow God's love for people to begin to flow through us. And what will happen when we do that? That you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Why? Because God's nature at its very heart is this love. This is why John says that you can't, you can't say that you love God and you don't love people because God loves people. He loves people you don't want to love and I don't want to love, but He loves them, so we have to love them with His love. My wife was reading a story to me a while ago of Corey Ten Boom, a great woman who, God, who was, who was uh, the, her father, she grew up in a Dutch house and during, the, during the World War II, when the, when the Nazis were persecuting terribly and they were arresting the Jews and f- taking them into the concentration camps, and their house became a hiding place. In fact, there was a movie made on that and a book on it. And they built a special place where they could hide when the, when the Gestapo would come looking for them. And then somebody snitched on them. And so her family was arrested and brought into a concentration camp and her father died, it didn't take long, but she was with her sister, got separated. There was a guard that was particularly brutal. And he was very brutal to her sister, and to the point that the sister died. And then as, as she was about to be executed, it was supernaturally, she got released from prison, and then she, of course the war was over, and God began to use her testimony of, as to make her a very powerful woman of God. And she would travel around the world sharing her story and ministering God's Word. And she's in a meeting one time and she's ministering God's word on love and the door opens at the back of the room and this guard that killed her, do- her sister walks in. And in the middle of this message, hatred rises up in her. And she gets flashbacks of all the things that her mother had, that, had, that this guard had done to her sister and to many other people. Cruel things to the point of she's dying from them. And when the meeting was over, he came up to her And he said, I'm here to make things right with you. He said, I'm now a believer. I've given my life to Christ. And I've come here to ask you to forgive me. And she just tightened up inside. And she said, the anger still was there. She said, God, I can't can't do this. I, I can't let go of this. And she heard the Spirit of God say inside her, but I can love him. And the moment she made that choice... God's love for him poured out of her. And when it did, it set her free from all of the anger and all of the hurt. It cleansed her because at that moment she became filled up with the fullness of God. And God's love for this guard who truly repented 
received Christ and was forgiven by God the moment he did. See, God's easier for him to forgive many times than for us. But how can we not forgive when God's forgiven? That we might know, pass his knowledge, that we may be filled up with all of his fullness. The depth of his love. He gave his son for you. Listen carefully. This is the most important thing. Because of his great desire for you. You didn't convince him to accept you. It's not like you filled out a resume and you needed to embellish your history a little bit. Put these things in there. Maybe there's some things I need to leave out because I want to make a good impression on God so He'll receive me. And we all know enough to say, well, we would never do that. But that's often how we think. If God really knew me, if you really knew what I was like, He does. And He knew what you were like when you were born. He chose you. One of the last things Jesus told His disciples before He left. He said, you need to know this, men. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And God doesn't make mistakes. You're here today. You're watching today because God chose you. Nobody can come to Him unless He calls you to Him. And I want to think, think about what that means. God knows everything about you. The things we said before. All the things you think, all the things you've ever said, all the things you've ever done. He knows that. He also knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you're going to do the next. He knows what you're going to do all the rest of your life. And He chose you. He doesn't make mistakes. So He doesn't look at you. I ch- but I, oh, I blew this one. He chose you. Why? Because you're precious to Him. You may not be, feel like you're precious to anybody else, but you're precious to Him. He gave His Son for you because of His great desire for you. Ephesians 2.4 in the Amplified. This is so powerful. But God, so rich is He in mercy, so rich is He in mercy, The term rich is a relative term, and that doesn't mean it's good to have a rich relative. It means rich as compared to who else. There may be people that you know that, well, I can tell you this, most of the world considers you rich. I don't care how you got here today. The fact you've got clothes, in many countries, we've been in countries where if you've got a bicycle, you're rich. So you're complaining about your vehicle you're having trouble with. There are people that would give anything to trade, have, they think you're rich. So it's relative. So how rich is God in mercy? How rich is God in mercy? Because God, so rich is He in His mercy. I love this. Because of, and in order to satisfy, the great and intense and wonderful love which, with which He loved us. Think about If you ever get, if you, you ever get a, a, a mosquito bite in your back and you just, <laughs> you, you can't sleep, you got, you, you got a, 
you, you can't sit still until you get, you've you, you got to satisfy that itch. You've got to, you've got, or you've got a hunger or thirst. When it gets severe enough, you'll do anything to, sati- to satisfy it. For some of you, it's chocolate cake. <laughs> Christmas cookies. I'm going to lose some of you now. So there's a drive in you that has to get sat- have to have that satisfied and it will compel you when it's strong enough to do whatever it takes to scratch that itch, to do whatever it takes to get a hold of that drink of water, to do whatever it takes. You're focused on that. You're clearly focused on it. Whatever you've got to... And that's what that word means. To satisfy the great, wonderful, and intense love with which He loved us. goes on to say, when we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ in Christ Jesus, and made us to sit with Him in heavenly places. He didn't just say, okay, I forgive your sins, you can get into heaven. He made you to sit, we've talked about this before, He made you to sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 calls you God's inheritance. I know we have an inheritance in Him, but it calls you God's inheritance. He values your inheritance. And the measure of how much He values it is the price he was willing to pay. His love for you gives you value. Anita and I are facing this transition. And although it's been a gradual process, and we'll share a little bit more about it next year, it, it confronts you with where you get your value. When suddenly, or not suddenly, when, when something you've been doing or something that you've given meaning to your life now changes. And some of you have gone through that with the loss of loved ones. Some of you have gone through that with your jobs. Some of it with your family. And we're in a season where, of changes and of shifting. And that will confront where you get your value from. And if you feel shaken by what's going on, if you if you're feel threatened by what's going on, you ought to check your, where your value comes from. Does it come from your friends? Does it come from how many views you get on Facebook or how many likes you get? It's amazing because we have a generation that's chasing likes online and there's in many ways the most insecure generation we've ever had because they're lonely because a like that anybody without any thought can just push a button on their phone and, 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 and like somebody and then just choose to dislike them. Your value and security does not come from your family, from your relatives. We can get value from them, but that's not where your value comes from. The value is in the heart of the one that... You should say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Your value is in the eye of the beholder. We have a little dog who's at home right now, Molly. And Molly is precious to us most of the time. At five this morning and nine degrees, I'm not, she's not sure how precious she was when I had to take her out. And she didn't want to do what she was supposed to do outside. But by and large, she's precious to us. But I'm sure we have some neighbors that just see her as a little dog that, gets, make, that barks or chases their dog. So she's precious to us, not because there's some inherent value in her, because if, she were, if, if her preciousness came from her inherent value, everybody would see it. Her preciousness is to us because of who she means to us. So I want to read a scripture to you. It's Isaiah 43. This is a scripture that when I was going through the treatment for prostate cancer six years ago, 
And praise God, it's gone. My wife gave me this scripture. This is part of a scripture. She said, I believe God's given this to you. And this was towards the end of it. This is God talking to Israel, who, by the way, was rebellious at this time. Israel at this time was extremely rebellious. They were seeking after other gods. They were, they were not obeying the commandments that God had given them. And God's talking about His love for them. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Notice He doesn't say, I'm the Lord God. I am the Lord and I am your God. I belong to you. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I belong to you. He's going to go through. I gave Egypt for your ransom to redeem you. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored. I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. And as I was reading that, God began to deal with me. He said, this is what I had to say to Israel because my measure of my love for them is, is, is what I gave for them. But the measure of my love for you is not the nations I've given for you. It's not the people I've given to you. It's my son whom I've given to redeem your life. Because you are precious, precious in his sight. You may not be in your sight. You may not be in your family's sight. You may not be in your boss's sight. You may not be in in your neighbor's sight. You may not be in anybody's sight. But you're precious. You're precious. That's not a theological statement. That's a heart. God's pouring his heart out here. God poured his heart out on that cross. God poured his heart out in that manger in Bethlehem. God poured his heart out when you encountered him and whatever it is that brought you to him. God poured his heart out for you. This is a heart matter. It's not a principle of theology. It's the heart of God. And he's beckoning us. He's calling us to satisfy his heart's desire, which is to have a living relationship with you with you that's watching online, but also with your neighbor, with your coworker, with the person you pass on the street, the people that are at the stores around you that are in line, the guy in front of you in the, on, <laughs> at the traffic light and he's on his phone and he won't move because you're honking your horn at him because you want to get somewhere and he just caused you to miss that light. Precious. You're Precious. It's a heart cry of God in order to sat because of, in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which God loved you. He gave. He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting, everlasting life. God wants to share His home his heaven, his son, his life, his very being with you, with you, with all of us, with the world. And that's why the church is here. I want to close with this prayer that Paul prayed. I bow my knee before the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Father, that you would grant to us according to the that you would you would grant to us according to the power of your spirit 
so that Christ could dwell in our hearts by faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, this kind of love, we would come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know by experience the love that passes all understanding so that we may be filled up with all of your fullness. Now unto him, you, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power of your Spirit that works in us, shall praise and glory and honor be to you throughout all generations in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close in just a second, but before we do, I want to extend that love that we've talked about in this brief time this morning to anybody that may be here this morning or watching online, and you've never received this Christ that God gave to this world. He gave Him to the world, but He has to be received in order to receive the benefit, just like a gift given today. There may be gifts under your tree, and children look at them and say, thank you, that's a nice gift, and never open them. That would grieve your heart as a parent. God gave this precious gift for you. Receive that gift this morning. Receive that gift. Say, well, I've, I've gone to church in my life, you know, and, and I know God's, Jesus is God's son. I know that, that, you know, he died to pay for the sins of the Lord. That's great. I did that for 35 years. Never got me anywhere. Never got me into a relationship until I discovered that God wanted to have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. And I stood in our, in our foyer in our house in Belmont, Massachusetts. And I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real. I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I ask you to come into my heart and I'll open my heart to receive you. And the moment I did, I knew he'd come inside of me because I knew all I could say was he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real. And I was still in my three-pay suit from work. He came even unto me. He's come to you this morning. The Bible says, God saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's standing at the door of your heart this morning, knocking and asking, will you let me come in? I want to bring with you my love, my joy, my peace. I want to bring with you hope in this world that has no hope. So if that's you this morning, I'm not going to have you come or stand up, but I just want to see a hand. I just want to see if you want me to pray for you. If you're online, you don't need to pray. God knows your heart. Here's what I want to do. I want to lead all of us in this this prayer, and then I want to give you just a little bit of instruction. Say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever did. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Wash me in your blood. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior and my Redeemer. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of your days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. 
If you're here this morning and you prayed that for the first time and you just were shy about raising your hand, I want you to come to see, see me after the service because I have some free material I want to give you to give you a better understanding of what you've done. If you're watching online, there should be a number at the bottom of your screen. You can call that number or go to our website. It'll give you that information. And we call on Tuesday, not tomorrow, because tomorrow's going to be a holiday. Tuesday, because we want to send you some free material. And tune in again next week. We have a, there'll be a great New Year's message for you. God bless you. Let's all stand together. You're so wonderful. We just appreciate and love you so much. What a wonderful job you guys did this morning.